All right, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. We are in the book of Romans. We are going to be in chapter 10 tonight. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 10. And tonight, we're really talking about how Israel rejected the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's really what chapter 10, if you were to sum it up into just, just a few words, that Israel, not completely, uh, some obviously, or Paul would have been able to write this, did receive the gospel and receive Christ. But others, as a whole, the nation of Israel did not uh, really accept Christ or the gospel. And the gospel really tells us that it's not by works, which was totally foreign to the Israelites. And there, if you think about their history, it's all about the commandments. It's all about, uh, and not just the ten that we think about, but if you talk about Judaism, you're talking about 600 and some laws that have kind of basically explained how you keep the ten uh, and how you honor the Lord and how you, all those kinds of things. So Israel really refused to submit to the righteousness of God. When we look at Abraham, what does it tell us about him? That he was considered righteous because he believed. Uh, and so they failed, Israel as a whole, failed to believe that they could be saved by uh, having faith in the Lord. As we sum up this chapter, but we're, we're going to go through it and look at it significantly here. So let's start with verses 1 through 3. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. That's important. That's what Paul's desire for Israel was, was that they be saved. For him, that was the most important thing. It should be for us as well. That our loved ones, that our family, that our neighbors, that our community, that they know the Lord and that they can be saved. So that, that's an important statement there. And really, you know, anytime you're in ministry, and that's what Paul is in, you kind of want to have a mission statement, and his was, that they may be saved. And he says, for I bear them witness that they have the zeal for God. Now, who has the zeal for God? This is his talking about. The Jews, Israel, as a whole. So he pays them a compliment. How many knows when somebody pays you a compliment that sometimes there is also a negative thing that's going to follow? So as we look at this, he says they have a zeal for God. In other words, they love God. They want to honor God. The next statement says, but not according to knowledge. Now that's kind of, for the Jew, a kind of a, really a slap in the face in a way. But Paul's a Jew, so he can say this. And the reason why it's a slap in the face for the Jew to be told you don't have knowledge of God like you ought to is because God came to them. God said, I want you to be my nation, my people. Paul to say you don't have knowledge about God. You have a zeal. At least they had that, right? But not according to knowledge. For they... Israel being ignorant of God's righteousness. Their knowledge 
was because of ignorance. They just didn't know. They didn't understand, but they also did not receive it or submit themselves to the righteousness of God. So ignorance is a little different than not just, than not submitting. So ignorant, you're ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. Maybe they heard about Christ, about Jesus, but they said, you know, we're just going to trust in the law. We're going to establish our own righteousness. How can we get closer to God? And they're doing it through the law, which is not going to work. No man ever becomes righteous through the law. We become righteous through believing or having faith in Christ. I'm spending a lot of time on these first three verses because they really establish what we'll learn as we go throughout the, this chapter. Seeking to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God. There's really three things, as you, if you look at that, that Israel was guilty of. They were guilty of being ignorant of God's righteousness. They were guilty of seeking to establish their own righteousness. And they were also not submitting, even when they did learn, they were not submitting to the righteousness of God. They tried to continue in the old way. How many knows it really is hard to teach an old dog new tricks? And so they were wanting to stay in that line of Judaism and being a Jew and how uh, they were raised and all of that. That's Paul's harsh desire is that Israel will be saved. How many knows that you can have a desire and do nothing about it? I used to want to, you know, be really rich, but I didn't do a lot of things that were required to be rich. You can hope a lot. You can uh, wish you can have desire, but if you don't do something about it, you won't accomplish it. What did Paul do? He wanted Israel to be saved, so he prayed to God. That's what this says in those first three verses. He prayed to God for Israel. I don't want to really, you don't have to show of hands, but we ought to be praying for our country. Just like Paul prayed for Israel, and we need to be praying for our country, not just that the economy's better, not just that the right political parties in place, spiritual aspects of our country. That's really where, where we can be the most effective in, our, uh, in what we're doing for the Lord. Israel was zealous. That means excited, energetic about the Lord, about God. They were, uh, had zeal, but no knowledge. And, I, and I'm repeating that because I believe Paul knew a thing or two about what he's saying about Israel. Think about Paul. The same thing could be said about him. He is, there was nobody any more zealous for God than Paul. Because he looked at first at Christianity as some terrible thing that would corrupt Judaism. And so he's like, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to put him in prison. I'm going to have him killed. I'm going to have uh, stop this false teaching of Christianity. So he was zealous for God. 
but he didn't really understand what God was doing through Christ. Uh, and he persecuted the Christians until God got a hold of him on the way to Damascus. And uh, he had that personal encounter uh, with God. And all of us need that. Without a personal encounter with God, we're all going to stray away from God. We need, you and I need, we all need a personal encounter with God. So they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And that's kind of what Paul was really talking about in Romans chapter 3, where it says that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Even though you're striving, how many knows that we can be wrong? We can, we can be pursuing things that we think are right, but be wrong. And that's what Paul's telling us. I mean, hey, I appreciate this, how zealous you are, but you're incorrect in your thinking. As we look at that, they're trying to do their own thing. We know that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They tried to do their own thing. God said, don't go into the middle of the garden. Don't eat of the fruit. Don't do this. And really, that was the only tree that the Lord said, don't do that. All the other trees they could eat of. They could have a great life, but what did they want to do? The one thing that God said, don't do. And it didn't take much temptation by the serpent to convince them that they wanted to be their own God. So they were not submissive to God's righteousness. God had a righteousness in the Old Testament before even the law was introduced. What was that? To obey what God said to do. And don't do something contrary to that. So they were not in submission to the righteousness of God. Israel was not. We have a personal responsibility uh, to follow after God. What Paul is, is spelling out to uh, the Jews, you chose God, but you chose incorrectly in your knowledge base. You don't, you, don't, you don't know about Christ. You're not following him. You're not submitting to him. All right, let's read verses 4 through 8. So we're going to see a contrast between God's righteousness and man's attempt to be righteous. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There it is. You've got to believe. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. He's saying if you follow the law, you got to live the law. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Boil it all down. What's Paul saying? Essential that we have faith. That's what that last statement is there. In Christ. The most important thing. We, we can't accomplish righteousness on our own. It's the truth of all mankind. We, no matter how good we try to be, 
We cannot accomplish righteousness because it's not by works, it's by faith in what Jesus has already done. So what does it say? Christ is the end of the law. That's verse 4. For us who believe in the Lord, we can have the righteousness of God through Christ. It's not our righteousness, but it comes through our belief or our faith in Christ. God's standard of righteousness is different from our standard of righteousness. I mean, knows that we always compare when, it, when, we're, when we talk about how good we are. Well, I'm not as bad as Susie, or I'm not as bad as Jack, because I, I at least I do this, or I don't do that. But that's not God's standard at all. God's standard is actually perfection. When we consider that, it's like, how can anybody? That's the point, right? The point is we cannot live righteously, totally righteous without our faith being put in Christ. And if you try to live by the law, anytime you break the law, you're a lawbreaker. I mean, knows that we break the law probably in some form, at least the way Jesus specified the law. Maybe daily, I don't know. Maybe not that much, but we certainly are Lawbreakers without our faith in Christ and our trust in Him and His cleansing of us because of what He did on the cross, His shedding of the blood for our remission of sins. So we don't have to go to great lengths to achieve righteousness. It's near us, it says. It's in our mouth and in our heart. It comes by trusting in the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. That's what it means, right? What is the good news? The good news is stop trying to do it on your own. You ain't going to make it. Trust in Christ. He's already paid the price for you. You can make it. That's some good news, I'm telling you. And that he's already paid the price, and all you have to do is trust in what he's already done. It's not about what you do. It's about what has already been done. That's the real gospel. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. Let's jump down there. If you are in church, before I read this, if you are in church on most Sunday mornings, you will hear me quote, or at least say a version of Romans 10, 9 and 10, almost every Sunday morning. Because it speaks of how simple it is to be saved. It really is simple. It really is. Are there some things that we should do after being saved and the way that we should live that's different than what we were before? Absolutely. But the process of trusting in Christ is simply this, that if you confess with your mouth, it needs to be out loud. It doesn't have to be screamed where the whole church can hear it or your neighbor can hear it, but it needs to be a confession with your mouth. The Lord Jesus. The wording of this is very specific. Christ can't be just your go-to when you're in trouble. It doesn't even say just confess with your mouth Jesus. It says confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. So that means he's in charge. He's in control. I'm no longer trying to do it on my own. 
And so that's important. And that's why when we tell people this is how you get saved, is you need to confess him not only as your savior, that's wonderful. Having a savior is powerful. He got, he got rid of my sins, but now he is the master of my life. That's what that word means. The word Lord means master. I'm his servant. I submit to his will for my life. The Lord Jesus, and believe, there it is, in this scripture, in this chapter, the word believe is spelled out so many times. You have to have faith. It's essential. It is the gospel, right? That you got to believe. You got to have faith. Believe in your heart. It's pretty specific. Not just in your head. I mean, knows that we can mentally assent to something, but not really, truly believe it. Because what you believe, you do. What you believe, truly believe, you act on. And so you got to believe in your heart, not just in your head. Is there a time where oh, the Holy Spirit enlightens you and you become uh, knowledgeable of the plan of salvation? Yes, but then it has to transfer from head to heart. And you act upon that. And, and, and that belief that God has raised Jesus, uh, has raised him from the dead, and then you will be saved. Isn't that very simple? Because the key words are confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you'll be saved. Pretty simple. That's why me as a simple pastor gets up on Sunday morning and says, if there's anybody that has felt a tug of the Lord on your heart and wants to be saved, this, the, a child can do that. And they do. I mean, it remembers just a few, couple months ago when we had what was it, 11 kids that got baptized? We make the gospel way too complicated sometimes, right? So believe, confess, and you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever, wow, that's powerful, not just the good people, not just the people on the right side of the tracks or the, uh, you know, the people with money or the people who try to live good, but whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Well, there's no distinction. This is powerful because remember Paul, the book of Romans, he's speaking to Jews who have moved from Jerusalem to Rome and he's telling them there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. That was flooring to the Jew. What do you mean? We're God's people. We're uh, different. We're his chosen. Yes, you are. But when it comes to salvation and how you are saved, there's no difference for the Jew or for the Greek. And by the way, what is a Greek? Anybody who's not a Jew, right? Uh, anybody who uh, another way of saying that is Gentile. Those who are who are not who are not a part of Judaism or a, or ethnic ethnically a Jew. Uh, so there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For 
again, that's the same word, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when I said that, you know where my mind went? Many times when people die, we form a judgment. Uh, they didn't make it. They didn't, they didn't, but, but what does the Bible say? I don't know unless I'm right there and then I still don't know uh, the heart of the person. Did they call upon the Lord? Were they saved? You see, I don't know about you, but I believe in deathbed conversion. I'm not saying that's the way you should get saved and you should get saved as early as possible and live for the Lord all of your life and do serve the Lord and, and, and have a, a legacy to pass on to your children and to uh, the church that you serve at. But I can tell you as a pastor, I've certainly led people to the Lord on their deathbed. And tears would stream down their eyes and the joy would come upon their face. And they're dying. Why? Because they've been saved. I'm tearing up right now thinking about the various ones that I've, I've spoke to as they're on their deathbed. We should never wait because we don't know how we'll die, number one. And we may have already had our last chance. And we may be in eternity. And I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'd say all of you are Christians here, uh, even you know, most listening online, but the truth of that is that we need to serve the Lord and try to serve Him all the time and don't wait. I've talked to people, I bet you have too, that say, I'm just going to wait till I'm, I've done all this that I want to do, and then I'll serve the Lord. And I've seen some of them, I don't know, my question, did they make it? So Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. It's the end because he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the law. Not that it had no purpose, that it wasn't good, but he fulfilled the law through his life and death and resurrection. He fulfilled all that was required. Uh, and all we have to do is believe upon him. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Stop right there. What did Paul say at the beginning? You have, speaking to the Jew, a lot of zeal for God, but lack of knowledge of really the plan of salvation, the gospel. Now he's saying, how then shall they call on him who call on who on God and whom they have not believed? So lack of knowledge, but also a lack of believing, even if they have heard. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So you got to hear and you got to believe. I'm going to jump ahead. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So it's an intellectual understanding, but also a faith to hear. And that word hear is not to just, not to just pick up the sound, but it's incorporating faith. Hearing and believing, right? How shall they 
here without a preacher. I'm a preacher, but so are you. That's the truth. Many people don't want to hear that. I would just leave it up to the pastor or the Sunday school teacher, or we'll leave it up to the children's pastor or the youth pastor. But the Bible says that we are kings and priests, a holy nation. And he's talking about the church when he's talking about that. You are a preacher. And your platform may not be up there, but maybe at your work, maybe at the grocery store, maybe with your family, but you have a platform. You are a preacher. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? You have been sent too. You've been sent. I was sent here a long time ago. Didn't know I'd ever be a preacher or a pastor. Certainly never imagined that I would pastor in this church. True. I love it now because I'm fulfilled, because I'm doing what God has called me to do. How shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You got pretty feet if you're spreading the gospel of peace. Because it's good news, right? Preaching the gospel is essential. It's by the foolishness, the Bible tells us, of preaching that men get saved. Your eternity, where you will spend it, is dependent upon will you hear the message that is preached. Now, I'm not saying you got to be in a church to hear that message. Matter of fact, can, can I take the truth? The statistics tell us most people don't get saved inside the church. That might like astound you, but the truth is most people get saved outside of the church with a friend who's brought them to Christ, and then they come to church to confess that to people. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. How shall they hear without a preacher? God has chosen us to be preachers. He could have chosen angels to deliver the message, but he chose humans, us, to deliver the message. So, God's, and this is important, this is a, a statement that I know is in your question. God's normal way of bringing people to Christ, or to Jesus Christ, is through the preaching of the gospel. That's the normal way. May not be inside the church. I want to emphasize that tonight. As a matter of fact, probably more, we, we, we would experience more knowledge of salvations if people were doing their thing outside of the church. People would come in, and there'd be a confession of their faith before the church. So God's normal way of bringing people to Christ is through the preaching of the gospel. So we're partners with God, and we're active in preaching the gospel. That's why, that's what the, that word feet, how beautiful are the feet? What do feet do? They move. That's right, somebody said it, I don't know. They move. They, there's action, there's motion, there's progress in the preaching of the gospel. What I would consider the least effective way of preaching the gospel. Walk up to somebody who you don't know at all, you have no relationship with whatsoever, 
and say, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're going to die and go to hell. My opinion is the least effective way. Now, sometimes people get saved with that. Astoundingly. But that's probably the least effective way because that's lazy. It's, it's not the, the, the feet moving in motion and, and it takes effort to witness to people and to have time with people and to form relationships with people. All those things, it's, a, it's action, it's activity, it's not lazy. It's not just, I'm going to drop a bomb of the gospel on you and you do with it what you want to. But sometimes we're guilty of that. So it's glad tidings of peace. It's the only way you have peace. The world needs peace. When Jesus was uh, born, what did the angel tell the shepherds? Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And that Christ would be born and that he would bring peace, right? So uh, that's the good news. It was not a surprise. All of this is about Israel has rejected the gospel of salvation. They rejected not only the gospel, but they literally rejected Christ. And then the next few verses talk about that that was not a surprise that actually the prophets in the Old Testament foretold that Israel would reject their Messiah. That's some sad news. Here's the Savior of the world. Here's the Messiah for Israel. And the prophet said, they're not going to believe you. They're going to reject you. Now, next week, we'll get into the good news for us that they rejected. Not everyone of the Israelites or the Jewish people rejected Christ, but as a whole, as a nation, they rejected him. So, but they have not obeyed the gospel. Verse 16, 17. Uh, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? In other words, they didn't believe the prophets who said, here comes a Messiah. This, these are the evidences. These are the things that he's going to... And if you look back at what Christ did in his life, the religious leaders had to be blind to not see that he was the Messiah. Honestly, they didn't believe the report. Now, there's reasons the religious leaders didn't want Christ to take their authority and their place. Lord, who, uh, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The only way you will come to salvation is through hearing and having faith in that word of God that comes to you. They have not obeyed the gospel. Salvation is not, is linked with, the first process is believing. Also obeying the word. Does that mean we're going to be perfect? We've talked, we've talked about it. All, this all through the first part of Romans. No, Romans. no, we're not going to be perfect, but our goal ought to be to obey the gospel, obey God's word. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Uh, Israel did not exercise a saving faith in Christ. But I say, have they not heard? 
So it wasn't a matter of that they didn't hear the message. Yes, indeed, they heard. So it said, yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth. The prophets gave the news of what they were supposed to do. Israel simply uh, did not believe and their words to the ends of the world. If we don't believe, and Israel didn't believe, they can't and we can't blame it on God because the message has come. The word has gone forth and we have to make a choice. Will we believe it? Uh, and Israel did not. They did not believe it as a whole. Obviously, Paul did. Obviously, there were people, other disciples, there were other people who followed Christ. There were thousands who got saved. So many did, but not all as a whole, as a nation. They did not. Uh, look at Romans 10, 19. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, and I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. What is he talking about? The Gentiles. When he says they're not a nation, what does he mean by that? They're not God's chosen nation. They may be individual nations, but they're collectively as a whole, they're just this group of people who aren't Jews. He said, this scattered group of people out there who are Gentiles are going to believe, and the purpose of that is to move you to anger. God wanted the Israelites to be angry? Is that what this is saying? He wanted them to be angry so that they were honestly almost like a jealousy. Why? How can the Gentiles be saved, but now we're not? What's the message? What's the how do I get saved kind of thing, right? That, that he's talking about is to provoke them to jealousy uh, so that they will believe upon the Lord. God uses many different ways to provoke you to come to the Lord. He does. Now, we look at that and we think, God's provoking? That means to draw to anger. God wants situations in your life to cause you to turn to Him. If you don't believe that, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, sometimes... It's only through those circumstances and situations that people come to Christ. If your life was totally rosy and no problems and no situations and no encounters in, with, with terrible things in your life, how many would have come to Christ? Be honest. Very few of us would. But we're drawn to him and provoked to him uh, through things that happen in our life, the situations, the that provoke us to want to know if there's an answer to all these problems and, and things that are going on in this world, what is it? I need to know. It's Jesus, right? But Isaiah, verse 20, Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. So that's speaking again of the Gentiles. Verse 21, and that's the last verse of this particular section. But to Israel, he says, man, this is good news. You know, even when Paul is telling the Israelites that you rejected your Messiah, 
that you did not receive the gospel, you didn't receive Christ, but look at the compassion of God, the good news that he's still drawing us to him, still drawing the Jews to him. And this last verse says, but to Israel, he says, all day long. Uh, just stop right there. All day long. You know, have you ever had something happen all day long? <laughs> all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. Isn't that good news? Even when we were disobedient, because we can put ourselves in the place of Israel here because before we knew God, we were disobedient. We were contrary to the gospel. And the good news, he didn't say, stay over there. You didn't want me. You didn't think you needed me. Just stay over there and do your own thing. And you won't know Christ. You won't be saved. No, he said, all day long, I stretched out my hands. I mean, that's a picture of what Christ did for us. And man, what a <coughs> thought. That when I was not pursuing him, he was pursuing me. And not just occasionally, but all day long. I remember saying to the kids, all day long, you have got on my last nerve. <laughs> but all day long, he stretched out his hands to a people who were disobedient and contrary to God. All right. That's chapter 10. All right. Question number one. What was Paul's desire for Israel, according to verse one? They be saved. That's probably the most important question of all. Question two, according to verse two, how did Paul compliment Israel? They had a zeal for God. Question three, according to verse three, what three things was Israel guilty of? Ignoring of God's righteousness, correct? Seeking their own righteousness, but not submitting to God's righteousness, right? Those three, those three things spelled out in that verse three. I did not answer question four as I look at that. So I'll give you the answer. Information alone is not enough to save anyone. Now we kind of talked our way around that. It's not just the information of the gospel, but what is it? There must be submission to the righteousness of God or submission to God. Submission to the gospel. Submission, submitting ourselves, not just knowing, but believing and submitting to that gospel. Question five, according to verse nine, this is pretty much just almost a direct quote coming from that verse. If you, what? Confess, Confess with your mouth. mouth the Lord Jesus and believe. believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be okay. saved. By the way, you ought to memorize that. If you memorize any scriptures, you ought to memorize Romans 10, 9, and 10. I had somebody ask you, how do you get saved? It's right there. 
So simple. So easy. Question six. According to verse 13, there is no distinction, distinction between Jew and Greek. That's verse 12. And then verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall or will be saved. Very good. Question seven. I know I said this, but I'm not sure if you picked up on it. I tried to say it a couple times. God's normal, normal way of bringing people to Jesus Christ is through preaching, the, preaching gospel. Of the gospel. Verse 17 Fill in the blank there. Blank. Faith. Faith comes by the what? Word. The word of God. By the way, that's a scripture that's really easy to remember too. That's important. How many know you need faith in your life? What he's looking for. That's exactly right. When you're in a situation that seems impossible, go to the word, because that's what it says. Faith comes by hearing the word. And find the promise of God and say it and repeat it. Bring that into your life where it becomes a part of you and you'll believe it and you'll act on it. The word is powerful, super powerful. And sometimes we just don't know enough of the word. You have to know the word. Otherwise, you're going to call me. <laughs> you don't need to call me all the time. You need the word for your own life. You can't wait to Sunday. You need the word of God. When you face situations in your life, you need that word of God that says, I will supply all your needs according to your riches. According to Christ is saying to us, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. What I'm saying is the word that you know is powerful in your life. All right, last question. From verse 21, although Israel did not seek God, God said, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary 